Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome to This Week in Production, the podcast. I'm your host, Art Aldrich, and joining me via telephone, Mr. Phil Townsend. Welcome. Thanks, Art. Thanks for having me. Give the audience a quick introduction. Well, um, just a camera operator, field producer. Um, I met you on Iditarod years ago. So um, we did. Just... You're not just a cameraman. You're uh, you're a little more than that. You're a pretty specialized shooter, I would say. Very talented guy. So don't uh, don't wave it off so simply. <laughs> yeah, I, I drive a snowmobile chasing the uh, the, the mushers. Uh, the entire race it's uh it's pretty fun it's pretty pretty good time now i wanted to do this podcast while we were together in uh, anchorage and then maybe uh, after we couldn't get that done just for timing we tried to do it in in gnome before everyone left but that was kind of crazy with everyone everyone bailing out as soon as they could to get home how many years have you uh worked on the Iditarod? Uh, this year was my 10th, 10 in a row, yep. Tell everyone what it is that you do for the Iditarod, because it's, it's honestly, it's one of the craziest jobs on the trail, definitely the hardest job on the trail, my opinion, but tell everyone what your job encompasses for the Iditarod. Well, we show up a few days early, and uh, we, we, we have snowmobiles, and we prep our snowmobiles to have a camera case, a Pelican camera case on the back, and we've devised a, a tube system, an irrigation tube system on the side that we ratchet strap on and we fit our tripod in there. And basically we just follow the race the whole way and uh, bunny hop mushers along the way and get shots and interviews with them um, along the thousand mile trail. For, so it, it lasts anywhere from eight to nine days usually. Right. And you, you're basically prepared to be out in the elements for those nine days. Yeah, we're out there quite a bit. We don't spend much time in checkpoints. Um, sometimes we spend a little bit of time in um, safety cabins that they have along the way, but most of the time you're you're out in the elements uh, working I, because that that's where all the good shots are. You know, when it's windy, when it's cold, um, the more extreme, that's where you're going to find the the best the best shots. You, I mean, you're getting shots that the normal camera crews will not even have an opportunity to get. Yeah. They don't, they don't get to the, uh, we're, you have to have a snowmobile to get to the places that we get. Um, some of the places you can't even get in by plane or helicopter unless they could land you close by, but then you'd have to hike for miles. And this year there's no way you could do it. The snow was just way too deep. Um, if you got off trail at all, you were, at least waist deep, sometimes chest deep in snow. It, it, it was a really rough year. It took, took its toll on us. You know, you're essentially prepared equipment wise supplies and you have a, you have a guide. So it's you and a guide, right. That are a team. And there's two teams that make up the, the snow machiners. Yes. Two, um, two photographers on snowmobiles and uh, each of us have a guide and each guide pulls a little sled behind them with some of our emergency gear. But honestly, we we try never to get into that sled because everything is time and effort and the the less time you can spend messing with gear the better well i mean what is it like i mean i don't even know i've never been on that part of the trail i've flown from you know checkpoint to checkpoint 
but I've never been on the snow machine on the trail where you're like, what is that like physically, visually, you know, paint us a picture. It is. I, I think that's why I keep coming back to it because I've seen riding that snowmobile. I've seen some of the most amazing images and I've been trying to capture those images that I see for years. And every now and then I get close. I don't think I've ever nailed it, but uh, there are some really magical moments um, when you're, uh, I'll be passing a dog team as the sun's going down and they're silhouetted against the sun. And I'm driving through a couple feet of powder on a snowmobile. And it's, it's pretty incredible. If you've ever watched for those in the audience who've never seen the Iditarod documentaries, you can, you can subscribe to the insider and you can watch them all as part of the service. You can rent some of them on uh, Vimeo, but you guys get some amazing shots of just, like you say, these epic uh, scenics. We try. We try. Um, yeah, it's been it's been fun. Um, what's what's the hardest part about doing that that role? Because you, have you done that role every year that you've been up there? Yeah, my very first time in Alaska. Um, uh, Kevin Bodie, who's another shooter, um, connected me with uh, with Greg, who's the director and talent behind all of this and greg called me out of the blue because they had a, a their snowmobile shooter at the last minute canceled and i think i had a week and a half or so to prepare i threw some questions out nobody was really good at answering so i just packed everything warm i had and i showed up to alaska alaska and I lied to get the job, <laughs> Greg. 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 Greg asked, <laughs> Greg asked me That's if I'd okay. ever driven. They lied to you as well. <laughs> they did. Huge <laughs> lie. <laughs> Greg asked me if I'd ever uh, driven a snowmobile, and I had a couple times growing up, but I didn't. I don't really. I didn't really know how to drive one. And uh, so my first time in Alaska, they put me on a snowmobile, and I'm supposed to go a thousand miles, and. By the time I hit Nome, the end of the race, that snowmobile looked like it could have been in a Mad Max movie. <laughs> I, I destroyed it. I mean, it's it's a physically demanding uh, machine. I mean, you know, what is the physical toll it takes on you? Um, I've had years when I can't, I tend to over grip. And I've had years when my right hand, I just can't. I can't do the zipper on my coat. I've had to, I've had to have guides zip up my coat for me before. It's been uh, it really it beats you up. Uh, the colder it is, the the tougher it is. Your hands start cracking in the cold, um, and and yeah, it's like you said, it's just physical. We um, you don't get a ton of sleep while you're out there, so um, you know you'll be up. It's it's not out of place to be up for 48 hours and then have to drive 100 miles. Um, at two in the morning in minus 45 degree weather, that's, I, I don't know how many times that's happened. Um, but you find a way to work through it, I guess. And you probably encountered, I would say some dangerous situations over the years. I have, I've done two pretty, well, countless, countless ones where, you know, just a fraction of a second and. You're like, oh wow, I dodged that. You most almost all of it on the snowmobile, just wrecks and stuff like that. Um, one time I was following my guide because he demanded I stay right behind him, and we were off trail. This was not even 20 miles from the start, probably. And he dipped down a hill, and I couldn't see him. And I, 
as I started to tip down that hill, I caught a vision of him and he's yelling at me to stop. And I couldn't stop. It was, it was just, I didn't have time. And uh, in retrospect, if I would have been more experienced, I would have gassed it. But when I, when I looked down and saw him, there was a giant pool of water that he had opened up on the river and my snowmobile slid right into it. And I was able to get off. I don't even think I got wet, but it submerged the snowmobile. We had to haul it back to Anchorage. It took days to get that fixed and then get back in the race. That was, that was, I don't know, six years ago, probably seven years ago. I, I do remember that. And that, how cold was that water? Um, I don't know. I didn't get in it. I'm sure, I'm sure it was really cold. I'm sure it was very cold. But luckily that, that one, I, I got out of pretty well. And then this year was another pretty spectacular one. Uh, we're in the Dezel Gorge, this beautiful narrow canyon, uh, rock walls, and it gets uh, some ice flow down it. So you'll have these really beautiful uh, ice chandeliers and stuff on the wall. And there's a creek that runs down it. And I've been wanting to line up this shot for years where there's a couple pools open in the creek. They're always in different places. And I'm shooting up the creek with a light coming down, um, uh, shining up on the mushers and the, uh, on the pools of water and all the snow and stuff. It's just I really wanted to capture this image for years. And this year, we just happened to time it right. Some mushers were right behind us. We pulled over. I sent my guide up trail to shine the light down. And I tested the ice going across the creek, and it held my weight fine. And, and my guide went out there with me, too. It held both our weights. Um, in his defense, he did tell me he thought it was a bad idea. But that, <laughs> but, but, but that didn't stop me. I, I grabbed the camera, an FS7. I grabbed the tripod, and I started walking across it really carefully. And I was dead center in the middle, and I heard a loud pop. And then in a fraction of a second, everything was dark. And I heard running water, and I was lying on my side. I'd fallen into the creek, about a seven-foot drop, and I looked over. I rolled over, and I saw the camera, and water was hitting the camera. I, I don't think it was submerged, but there was definitely a lot of water hitting the camera. The, the camera was in the creek. Um, I jumped up, grabbed the camera, had to hoist it above my head to get it out of the, out of the creek and onto the ice up above. I found a rock to stand on and popped my head up and yelled at my guide to come help me because I couldn't get out by myself. He came down. After a few tries, he was able to get me out. He started a really quick fire. We chipped the, the camera. Was, by this time, it's just covered in ice. And I chipped off all the big hunks I could. And then we jumped on our snowmobiles. This is probably about 11 o'clock at night, and it's about it's about minus 30 probably. And we, we drive to and you're the next— And you're, you're wet still. Actually, I didn't get that wet. I got, no? I was, I was wearing these, uh, these snowmobile bibs and they kept everything underneath me dry. The bibs were covered in ice, the bottoms and, uh, and they were a little wet underneath, but underneath I was dry. That's um, amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, my upper, I hardly had anything wet on my coat. I think I brought a lot of snow down with me and I think I landed on the snow. I'm not exactly sure. It, it happened so fast. So we drove to the next checkpoint, talked to uh, Bodie, who was there, told him that I thought that uh, that was a bad place to dry out the camera because there's just too many people in a small cabin. Um, 
So we decided to drive to Nikolai, which was another, I think, 70, 75 miles away. How long does it take you on a snow machine to do 75 miles? It depends on the trail, really. Um, the, the trail between uh, Rhone and Nikolai, it, it, it was cold, too, so you don't go quite as fast when you're cold. Um, by the time we left Rhone, it was probably midnight or 1 a.m., I would guess. And we ended up not making it. I was falling asleep. I, I fell asleep and crashed into a tree and oh broke my, my I, I broke part of the windshield on my snowmobile. So we're like, okay, we better pull over. And uh, there was a safety cabin. I, 45, 50 miles out, we stopped at that, um, slept for a few hours, woke up in the morning, drove to Nikolai. And uh, I, there was a school that had a, a really big window and a heater right next to it. And I took apart the camera as much as I could, set it on the heater, and just let it bake. It was like a little oven there. And it, I just let it bake for almost 24 hours. Now, this is a Sony FS7. And yep. it's got a, a Canon 17 to 120 zoom, which is a almost a $25,000 zoom. So this was not just a little, you know, DSLR rig. This was a... A pretty heavy price tagged camera. Yeah, I was uh, I was freaking out. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I was I was I was hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. Um, I was going to say, and it's not like you can just pick up a phone and just like you know call tech support. You know, you might not even be in a in an area to talk to someone, and you know, even if you could, like, there's no way to get you a replacement. We it's not like we have three spares sitting in Anchorage to just send you? No, we were not going to, there was no other FS7. If, the FS7 would have been out at that point. I would have had, we did find a, a fallback camera. I would have been using one of the Panasonics that, uh, that Ken was using. I would have used his camera and he would have taken one of the smaller prosumer models. That was, that was our plan B. Right. If, if that, um, I actually shook water quite a bit of water out of the uh, Sony extension unit on the back. You wouldn't believe it, Art. Like a quarter of a glass of water probably came out of that oh thing as I, as I was shaking it. And, and the, what is it? The gold mount to V, the V mount to gold mount uh, adapter. adapter plate. Yeah. yeah. That, that had quite a bit of water in it too. So even if the FS seven survived, which I thought it might, I'm like, well, the other parts just aren't going to work. So the whole thing's not going to work. Um, but I let it bake and I woke up in the morning and I turned it on and everything worked. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, that's, that's amazing that just a, that you able, I mean, that could have went much differently for both you and the camera. So the fact that, you know, it worked out the way it did is, is a miracle. I agree completely. Yeah. I could have like, the lens could have easily hit one of those rocks and just broke the lens, broke the camera, broke the mounting system. It, it's, it really is a miracle. I should, I should buy a lot of lotto ticket after all of that. <laughs> but this is not like you've had other, you know, situations that were dangerous, not just to the equipment, but to, to yourself as well. Right. A couple of years ago, you were caught in a very bad storm. Yeah, that one was, I, fe I felt fine in that one. Um, my, but tell that story because that's a good story. It is a good story. We were um, we were going down. We we dropped down onto uh, what is that? The the last stretch before you get to uh, safety, which is the checkpoint before Nome near, and it, near uh, the finish. Yes. Yeah, and they call it the blowhole. 
it's it's known for having winds. I think it, I think it gets up to 100 miles per hour or something at, at sometimes. I've never witnessed that, and I'd, I it, it always had been pretty good weather when I'd been through there. People had told me about it, and I'd never seen it, so uh, you kind of dismiss it after a while, I guess. But this year we, I got a shot of uh, or the year this happened, I got a shot of um, of a musher going right into it. And it was a great shot because he just disappeared into this white, uh, this whiteness. And I jump on my snowmobile and I'm going to beat him to the, the next checkpoint because I have to get him checking in. And I drive. It, it was really tough. My guide was right in front of me and I, I, he was probably two to three feet in front of me. And I had a hard time seeing his taillight. It was so, wow. it, it was in and out. It was wow. in and out. It was, that's how bad the whiteout was um but we we managed to follow the the signpost and we we found the the checkpoint and we waited for a while and that musher never showed up i wanted to go back in it and they wouldn't let me i even called some of the bosses and they told me to stay put and uh one of our other photographers at the time um ended up running on running into the musher who had huddled down and uh had his dogs around him and it was a really scary scene really scary scene for a Very, while yeah it was it was a dramatic uh moment and uh but it just you know it goes to show that this is not i mean most of these positions this is not a normal job this iditarod documentary you know crew that that you know you're part of but um it's it is dangerous to say the least. It can be. I think you. I think you mitigate it. I, honestly, the guides are so experienced. These Alaskan guides that we get are so experienced. It, I, I wouldn't say you get complacent out there, but you feel safe. Well, I think you do feel safe because I think you're downplaying, you know, the potential risks. Because if you do something, you know, wrong, I mean, it could literally be life or death. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Do you do any other jobs that are like this? Not quite like this. I've been to, I worked for, a, I did a lot of work for an NGO traveling around the world. And we went to, we were in some pretty sketchy scenes in Haiti and some d disaster areas at times, but not, you know, it's like the weather was passed and it was more like uh, you're more worried about rioting and stuff like that. Right. Or, but nothing, nothing like the weather. Do you ever get out there on the Iditarod trail and be, and be like, you know, why am I doing this again? Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know that art. <laughs> I do. I was just checking to see if I was the only one. No, we all do. <laughs> no, I mean, the, I've, I've, I think I've told everybody at some point, I'm like, this would be the best job if we could just stop working as soon as the sun went down, like a normal job. It would be so fantastic, right? But that's you're just getting going at that point. You know, you got to get night shots. You have to be to the next. You have to move to the next place in in, in the field. And uh, yeah, when it when it's when it's two or three a.m. and you're in the middle of nowhere and it's minus forty five, minus fifty five. We've even been in, and you're waiting for a musher to show. You're just you're tired, and you, all you're doing is staring up trail waiting for a musher to come around a corner that you've been waiting for for an hour maybe and you're just waiting for them to come around so you can get that one shot and they come around the corner and you hit record 
and your battery dies <laughs> and they go right by you. And that shot that you, that shot that you've been waiting for and it's had set up for so long, you just lost it. Yeah, that that's when you question why you're out there. Well, I think that you do an incredible job with that. What do you do? Like, what is a normal, you know, week for you otherwise besides uh, Iditarod and Nat Geo? Well, I live in Seattle, so um, a lot of sports, Mariners, Seahawks, stuff like that. It, any anything going on here, sports wise, we cover a lot of Microsoft, a lot of corporate stuff, things like that. I used to do. I've only been out of local news for a few years. I freelance local news for. 15 years or so but i've been out of that for about three years or so so still kind of make you're an owner operator right i am yeah i have an fs7 so what what's in your kit well i just got that zacuto oled the gradical eye yeah um which i'm a fan of how did that did you uh, use that on the trail we tried to it um doesn't like wanna, the cold right <laughs> it did not like the cold like we thought we thought it would go, it was going to be work well in the cold but it, it didn't yeah. so uh i think with if you can keep up heated it probably works fine right. i i ended up going back to the uh the lcd the the classic fs7 lcd and i just put heaters on it and it worked it worked fine i mean the, it's a little tougher pulling focus on it but it worked well i think that the experience is obviously good because you keep coming back yeah, I, I haven't learned my lesson, I guess. <laughs> what is in your 10 years of Iditarod? Give me the best moment and give me the worst moment. Well, the best moment, I mean, is every time you get a good shot, every time you nail a good shot. And, there must uh, be one, though, that you're like, holy cow, that's like awesome. Actually, I, I think, honestly, my first year was one of my best shots. Um, Jeff King is mushing and... The sun is literally right behind him and it's just rising up really long sunrises and sunsets there this time, that time of year. And it's this huge sun and he's silhouetted against it. And I, I don't think I've ever done a better one. What about your low, lowest low? Wow. Well, when I get taken out of the race, like this year, when I, when I went into the Creek and I just couldn't shoot for, I was out for at least 24 hours and I know I'm missing stuff that we need that people want to see that I was excited to shoot. You know, I, I had been working for years. I'd been trying to make the gorge work to my favor. It's really hard to, to get there at the right time where you have a team of mushers behind you and you know, they're right behind you because if you don't know when they're coming, you just have to stay up all night waiting for them. Right. And then, and you really kind of have to pace yourself out there because you can burn out in the first three days, if you just try to do everything. So you have to do it smart. So we, we had it all lined up this year. I'm like, Oh, we have five, six teams coming in the next two hours. We're in perfect position. This is going to be great. We're not going to have to stay up all night. We'll shoot these five, six mushers, take a nap and then start the day, uh, in the morning. And, and it didn't work out. And I was out for 24 hours or whatever. And the time I sunk my snowmobile, I was out for, I want to say two or three days. So those would be the lowest when you're just sitting there doing nothing. Right. Like, you know, that the race is going, literally it's going by you and there's nothing you can do to get back into it except wait. Yeah. I'm sure you have, what's been the lowest of low for you out there? Uh, usually March one every year when I show <laughs> up in Anchorage. <laughs> 
No, I, I, we, we had a little podcast last week, and I, I talked about some of the lows this year. For me, because I'm very plugged in with the live streaming and the audience, we have a very passionate fan base. And I do communicate with a lot of them via this, uh, this chat room that we have running basically from the day that the race starts till the day the race ends. And these people are in that chat room, you know, 24 seven, some of them. And, and you do feel like a, a sense of responsibility to them. So I always feel like if I'm not giving them something new, something better than last year that I've, you know, I've let them down. So this year I felt like, you know, cause we had to leave a few days early and the live stream wasn't as good as it, it has been in the past. I, I felt a little, little uh disappointed in that yeah exactly yeah because we we know we have all those fans out there just waiting for this and when you don't get it yeah it's it's rough i, I thought your low point would be when you ran out of tequila i i've never run out of tequila <laughs> i've had a resupply sometimes but i've luckily i've never run out and i don't know about you my my uh, don julio 70 glass is uh, is empty i know it's a little earlier for you on the west coast but given the circumstances it's probably time to uh, pour yourself one yeah soon definitely okay well phil thanks for uh sharing your experiences i do think what you do is is incredible you're an incredible shooter and just the fact that you literally will put your i mean you're putting your life out there to, to get these shots and uh you downplay it a little bit, but I do I do give you a lot of uh, credit for, you know, putting it out there and putting yourself on the line like that. Well, thanks, Art. It means a lot coming from the wizard of the Iditarod Trail. <laughs> well, someday I'd like to meet that guy. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Phil. We'll see you next time. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on this week in production. Thanks for listening.